Okay, today's lesson is the right examples. Jacob and Joseph breaking free from the past. Well, first of all, let's go back and let's uh, familiarize ourselves with those stories uh, from the book of Genesis about uh, these characters. And so that will help us a little bit. Look in your Old Testaments to Genesis 25. <clears throat> this is uh, the story of Jacob, and uh, Jacob's parents are Isaac and Rebekah. And so Jacob is sort of the third in the line, if you think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, a little bit later, will be known as what? Do you remember? Israel, that's right. So he, he uh, gets sort of a, a second name a little bit later in life. But here's the major mistake that Jacob experienced as a child with his parents. And I think uh, that's a good thing sort of to note there. I mean, you know, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about the pillars of, of the faith, right? Yeah. You can be a person of great faith, and you can still make some pretty big mistakes yes. in your family, in your parenting. And uh, Isaac did, and we're going to read it right here. In chapter 25, verse 27, the boys grew up, meaning Esau and Jacob. Of course, they were born, they were twins. Esau was the oldest brother, and Jacob was the younger brother of the two twins. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, what's the obvious mistake that uh, <coughs> Isaac and uh, Rebecca make in their parenting? Yeah. Favoritism. Favoritism. They, they favored one child uh, over the other child. And in this case, they, they had two, and sort of dad favored one, and mom favored the other. And you can imagine uh, how that would be very problematic. Uh, maybe some of you grew up in homes where you felt like, uh, your other brother or your other sisters or, or sister, they were sort of the golden child or the favorite child uh, of, of the family. Uh, maybe you were the golden child uh, or the favorite child in your family. But from a parenting point of view, this, this, uh, this concept of favoritism is something that is almost never going to turn out in a good way. Now, the funny thing is, is Jacob repeats it. Look over to chapter 37. Jacob repeats the mistake. And it shows you the power of example. Even if it's an example that is not a good one. Or, thanks Tony. In some cases, even an example that you didn't like. Unfortunately, sometimes we repeat the, the examples that we don't even like. In Genesis 37, verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, of course we know that to be Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his older sons because he had been born to him in old age uh, and of course because he had been uh, he was born you know, the, the son of Rachel uh, and he, ma- he made him a richly ornamented robe for him when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them they hated him and could not 
speak a kind word to him. Now this is the amazing thing about parenting and family. Even if we knew it was wrong when we grew up in it, there is a tremendous tendency to follow that example. Because it's the example that you grew up in, and even if it was something that you didn't like at the time, unfortunately it can be something that comes into your life. Now Joseph, on the other hand, is going to come along, and apparently he figures out this dynamic was not right. And we're going to see how he tries to write this concept. Look over in Genesis to chapter 48. Now this is now at the end of Jacob's life. And he's blessing all of his sons. And uh, let's pick it up in verse 5. You guys there? Now this is interesting because this is Jacob speaking and he's talking to Joseph. He says, now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. This is an interesting thought. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And you know, you look at the twelve tribes sometimes and you say, well, wait a minute, Manasseh and Ephraim, where did they come from? Well, they're actually Joseph's children. But what Israel, or what Jacob says is, is these children, these two children that were born to you before I came here, we're, we're going to reckon them as mine. And they're going to be blessed just along with my other sons. Now, the interesting part of that is, is that then Joseph got a double blessing. Because his two sons were two different tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel. So Israel in some way, Jacob in some ways, is still favoring Joseph, right? But we're going to see as it goes along here another interesting thing. Uh, verse 6, any children born to you after them will be yours. So, well, that's nice. <laughs> okay, at least my other children can be reckoned as mine. Uh, and they will inherit and uh, be reckoned under the names of their brothers. Uh, in other words, they'll, they'll fall under the, their two older brothers, either, either Ephraim or Manasseh. As I, uh, I was returning to Padam, uh, my sorrow, to my sorrow, Jacob, I mean Rachel rather, died in the land of Canaan uh, while we were still uh, on the way, a little distance from Eprap. <coughs> so I buried her there beside the road of Eprap, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. So he's just, he's very happy, you know, very excited, uh, even though he's really at the end of his life. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knee and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then he blessed them, and he comes on down. And look at verse 17. 
When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. So you say, okay, what, what, what is all this? Well, I think what this shows about Joseph is that Joseph realized that the favoritism that his dad showed him, which was out of structure, was actually very unproductive. And I think he realized that. And he realized the older son should be the one who got the blessing. And so when he sees his father blessing his sons in the wrong order, he goes, hey dad, no, 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 no. This one's the older one. And, and Israel says, yeah, I know. I, I know how I'm doing it. Uh, don't, don't, don't mess me up. I'm an old guy, but don't mess me up. And, and he goes on. But the insight here is about Joseph. I think Joseph figured out the favoritism issue that his father had done had caused incredible amounts of damage to he and his brothers and even his father and his uncle Esau, as, as, as it would have been. I think Joseph figured it out, if you know what I'm saying, and he tried to right the wrong. All of us have been raised in a family. I don't know if you would say your family was good or your family was not good. I, I will say this, and I think it's fairly uh, easy and, and, and uh, uh, a truism, if you will, about parenting. You may have actually learned how to be a parent from your family, or you may have learned how to not be a parent from your family. An exercise that I want you to do and you may have to have more time than, than we can allow here for you to do it, is for you to actually do a diagnostic or an evaluation of your childhood. You say, wow, Marty, that, that, that's a big deal. Well, I'm not saying you need to go into super, super, super dynamics. But I do think you need to ask yourself the question, what did my parents do good? And in most cases, there's at least something they did good. It may not be a long list. But what did they do good in my childhood, in raising me? And then also, and you have to try to be fair here to your parents. What did they do that wasn't good? Now, this is not something you're going to go share with your mom or your dad. Okay, This is not for them. It's for you, because you now are parents. You you now have your own children. And so you're trying to look back on this concept of example and say, okay, what should I bring forward? What was good? And even in a a mostly bad situation, there can often be good things. You may say, well, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, He was physically and verbally abusive to my mom. Uh, and to me. And you may have, you know, sort of bad, bad, bad. But, man, when Dad came to my baseball games, he was awesome. I mean, you know, he was yelling for me, and he was screaming at the ref, you know, to be an idiot because he called a strike, you know. I mean, even in a situation that maybe mostly was not good, 
there's probably in there still some good things that you can find. And so I'm not looking for you, or I wouldn't encourage you, you know, to delve into all your bad attitudes about your parents. That, that's not the point of what we're doing here. But do a little bit of a diagnostic. What was good and what was bad? That will give you a better idea of, okay, what can I bring forward and what maybe needs to be left in the past, if you understand what I'm saying. I want to look at the, this idea of example, good and bad. Uh, look over to Hebrews chapter 2. Because the Bible actually talks about it on both sides. Uh, that example is, is good an example uh, is bad. And this is uh, a couple of scriptures here on the idea of a good example. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, uh, talking about Jesus, beginning in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, sorting of shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him, or think, think about Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's a great passage on the idea of example. Who's the example here? Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews 12.3. Hebrews 12.3. Consider Him, or think about Him, in, in, a, in a context of example that... I, I should purposely try to be like Jesus in life. So this idea of, of, of a good example. Uh, another one, we, we've talked about this more, John 13, uh, you know, uh, in the context of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Remember that? You guys are awful quiet today. The, the fajitas, maybe we may be maybe a food coma here. Uh, John thirteen fifteen, <clears throat> Jesus uh, Jesus says, uh, beginning of verse fourteen. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do uh, to one another as I have done to you. So the Bible, you really is not afraid of saying this concept or idea. Uh, follow a good example. In this particular context, uh, it's, it's uh, Jesus. Now, the Bible also talks about bad examples. Look over to Proverbs 22. That we can have uh, positive examples in our life, but we can also have uh, good examples in our life. Proverbs 22 and verse 24, it says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Yeah. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. So that's exactly what this passage is talking about, isn't it? It's it's talking about the power of a negative example, or a bad example. And it says, hey, you you better be careful who you make friends with. Now you say, hey, this is a good thing, I ought to be teaching my kid this. Uh, And that's true, your children, we should teach our children this. But this is not necessarily talking toward little children here. This is saying, anybody, I need to be careful who my friends are. Uh, You need to be careful who your friends are uh, as well. Look back in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 4 and verse 11. I'm just trying to give you sort of positive and negative here uh, scriptures on this idea of 
Example. Hebrews 4 and verse 11. <clears throat> it says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So we can have positive examples. We can have, have negative examples in our life. Now since you're in the New Testament here, look over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here's a good example of a parenting. That, a parenting that went right, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Let's pick it up in verse 3 there. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded lives in you also. So here's an example of positive parenting. Timothy's grandmother and his mother had passed on their faith. The grandmother to his mother, Lois. Eunice to Lois. Is that the way it is? I think that's right. Your mo- oh, no. Lois and, and uh, your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. So, the grandmother passed on her faith to her daughter, Eunice. And then Eunice had passed on the faith to her son, Timothy. So, here's an example of positive parenting. This did worked right here. Okay? Now you say, well, wait a minute. She was married to a Greek, to a non-believer. Yeah. And in that sense, that was not good. But apparently, even in the midst of that circumstance, Timothy became a believer because of his grandmother's faith and his mother's faith that had been passed on to him. So there's a good example of parenting. Let me give you a bad example. Look over to 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 22. And uh, verse 3. Pick it up in verse 2. It says, Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king and reigned in Jerusalem one year. His his mother's name was Athaliah, a granddaughter of Omri. He too walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, and his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. And uh, it goes on. So here's a bad example of of parenting that didn't work very well in a sense of uh, example. You know, it's a bad example. Now it's a fact that we learn by doing in the area of parenting. Nobody has a child and knows what to do. I, I, I don't care how much it looks like some people do. They don't. Nobody does. And I know we have some people here that don't yet have children. I see Nick over here 
and, and, and that's awesome. Peter in the back. You, you, you guys are, 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 are dads in waiting, so to speak, of, of having children and that kind of thing. It would be a real wrong impression for you to think, oh, man, Nathan, Nathan and Amy have a child and, and, and they're almost going to have another child here in several months. They knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> you, you, could help, uh, you could help Nick out. Nobody knows what to do. They may think they do. But the practical realities of raising children, no one really knows what to do when they have children. We learn by doing. And one of the ways that we learn is by looking for examples around us of how we can, you know, do what we see going on in other people's families, in other people's uh, uh, situations. No one knows h- how to do it. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a part of parenting that is utterly exasperating because you realize at different points, I've got a problem here and I'm not sure how to fix it. There's not, a, there's not a dad alive that hasn't had that thought. I know I've got a problem, but I'm, I, I know I don't know exactly what to do to fix this problem. I know the scriptures. Sometimes what you say, well, you've got to read the Bible. Well, the Bible has a lot of uh, inclinations, but as we've even seen here, the Bible, even some of the Bible, Bible's greatest characters, <clears throat> didn't always make good decisions in their own families. So you can be a great person of faith, and you can be a great person of righteousness. But you still may look at your parenting with a big question mark of exactly how do I do this and how do I uh, go forward. The normal dynamic between husband and wife is they see parenting different. I don't know of any marriage that I've ever dealt with that the mom and the dad always agreed on what to do with the kids. Ah, uh, that doesn't happen, guys. And for some of you, you may think, oh, thank God that's true. Because I've been fighting with my wife, you know, about exactly what to do with, with our, our child or our children and those kind of things. It is the norm that husband and wife do not see it exactly the same. Part of that is the genius of God's design. And it's actually a good thing that mom and dad don't always see it the same. Because there's a, a, a feminine uh, way to look at life that isn't necessarily wrong. It's just the way women probably see it more. And there's a masculine way to look at life and how men see it, if you know what I'm saying. And so there's a normal disagreement that isn't necessarily bad. Because the woman needs to modify the man many times on what he thinks. And vice versa. The man needs to modify the woman in what they believe about parenting. Parenting should be a collaborative effort. It should be a combination of what you think and what your, your, your wife thinks about how do we deal with this situation. And there's, there's an untold number of situations that comes up in life, I mean, almost from the very beginning. Who's going to get up and change the diaper? Your opinion is, 
My wife should. The wife's opinion is, I think you ought to get your lazy butt up and do it. If <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. And so for almost from the very beginning of life, there's a, there's a disagreement of exactly how should we handle the child and, and what goes on. From disciplinary issues to expectation issues to behavioral issues, it is normal, 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 normal that you and your wife do not see it alike. Don't fight that. Learn from it. There's a part of that that's healthy. And realize she needs sometimes to modify you. Because, you know, you, you, you see the child sometimes from a tough male perspective. She needs to suck it up. <laughs> Quit being such a little baby. Well, that may be true. But it maybe also needs to be a little modified by, you know, your wife who says, well, yeah, but he's two years old. You know, if you know what I'm saying. And so you need each other to balance each other and, and, and help each other out. Plus, you're a product and she's a product of whatever homes that they grew up in. The home you grew up in and the home that your, uh, your uh, spouse grew up in. And in many cases, that's going to be quite a different situation. For instance, my, my situation. My mom and dad were married... Uh, up until when my dad died in 2003. And so they were married for 50-some years. I knew nothing but mom and dad. Chris's dad died when she was nine months old. She never knew her dad. She was too young. You know, you don't remember things that happened uh, that early in life. She wasn't even a year old. And by the time she got to her sort of grade school kind of years and young girl kind of years... Her mother had remarried to a guy who didn't want anything to do with her two children. You know, and so, you know, she recalls that she said to him one time, you know, uh, can, can I call you dad or can I call you daddy? And he said, no, I'm not your dad. No, you know, I'm like, I never met the guy. I'm like, I want to slap him. You know, I'm like, what an idiot. Why did you marry this woman with two children if that's the way you were to treat your kids? But all I'm saying is, my understanding of home and family and parenting comes from mom and dad were always together. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying my mom and dad were always perfect. I'm not saying they had a perfect marriage. I'm not saying they were perfect parents. But at least the dynamic was they were all together. Chris's frame of reference is it was never there. There was never a home that had mom and dad together. And so obviously she views things through this slant, I view it through this slant, and you know, you, you, you all could share uh, something similar to that uh, about your, your background and your situation. In the church, you have an opportunity that is phenomenal. And I want you to understand how phenomenal it is. You have not only your parents to draw from, in a sense of example. You also have the brothers and sisters around you to learn from, and particularly, you have people that are a little bit older than you that have gone through the chapters of life that you're going through now. That's how I sort of look at life. Life is like chapters. You know, you have a kid, and let's say zero to, to five is this 
infancy or, 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 or real young children life, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And that's sort of one chapter. And then you get into school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. You know, that's sort of like a chapter. And then you hit, you know, uh, middle school, you know, and then you hit high school, and then you hit college, and then you hit, uh, you know, the years beyond college. And, you know, the parenting still goes on even with children who are gone from home. I mean, I'm in the chapter right now that uh, Ben and Maria are both married, but no children. Which is, I mean, that's a cool chapter. But I, I probably think down the road I'm going to get the phone call from one of them. Hey, uh, we got a bun in the oven. You know what I'm saying? Hey, we're going to have a baby. And, you know, and people say to me, man, aren't you looking forward to being a grandfather? Uh, my answer is uh, no. <laughs> yes. It's a different chapter. I'm not there yet. I'm sort of happy with the chapter I got right now. Right. You know, and, and, and one of the things that I've learned in life is that you, you begin to really understand the chapter you're in, and just about the time you begin to understand it, then you, you go into the next one. You're like, oh shoot, man, I, I, I just learned how to deal with a little kid, and, and now they're going to school. You know, and, and you have a whole different learning set. You have a great opportunity to learn from other families around you. In the church. This is the, this is the ex- example thing. It's the example uh, a dynamic we have in the church. You can learn from couples that are your age. They don't have to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years older than you. You can learn from people that are your own age. You can also learn from people that are a little bit ahead of you about those things. I want to give you six different things that I think you should make your criterion of who to look for. You guys with me? What to look for in people that you want to imitate. Number one, happy kids. Come on now. Are the kids happy? I don't want to learn from someone who's got unhappy kids. <laughs> Do you? No, I mean, it's, it's a little bit obvious, but it needs to be stated. You, you know, just a good look over Hey, are the kids happy? Did the kids have a good attitude? Good, spirited children are by design, not by default. You see a kid that's well-behaved? You should know they're well-behaved because somebody's doing something right. That's just, guys, that's the gospel truth right there. I hope you listen to me. Good-spirited kids are by design. You know, but we look at it and we think, well, they must just have happy kids. Now, happy kids are a product of good parenting. Now, you can have good parenting with a kid that struggles to be happy. I can't tell you how many times I had to tell Ben and Maria, get a happy face on now. And that meant basically, you get a happy face on now or I'm going to bust your butt. <laughs> You're not going to mope around here and feel sorry for each all the time. And I remember, you know, sometimes it was, you know, <laughs> you know, Maria, you know, tears run down her face. You know, she didn't want to get happy, but Daddy said it's time to get happy. But happy kids are, are something you should look for. Number two, the relationship between the parents and the kids. 
what do you see? I, I see some moms and dads, honestly, and I'm like, geez. I, I don't like the way they talk to their kids. I don't like the way their kids talk to them. Matter of fact, their kids talk to them. If my kids did that, we'd be going to the bathroom. Not to go pee-pee. You know, I, I, you know, it's a criterion. You know, what, what is the relationship between the parents and the kids? Number three, do they have a calm home? Home should be calm. And sometimes it's a fight to make it calm. But it's, it's, a, it's a product, once again, of parents who expect it to be that way. And, you know, I'll reference back to last week's class. Parents are to train the children, not children tra- train the, the parents. Yeah. If you want your home to, to, if you want it to feel a certain way, then make it be that way. Yeah. You know, as they would say in, in, uh, in Star Trek, make it so. You know? You don't let your kids set the tenor of the home. The parents set the tenor of the home. And, you know, sometimes, honestly, I've done that with kids even, you know, one of the brothers, I'm not going to mention his name because it wouldn't be appropriate, but, you know, he, uh, he left his kids uh, with me and, and, uh, and uh, we were going to have dinner. It just happened that particular night we ordered out for pizza. And uh, he was in the living room playing at our house, playing video games. And uh, we, the pizza arrived, and of course, you know, that big, big thing, hey, the pizza's here, you know, that. They were, you know, laying out the pizza and getting the plates set and all that. And we're in the uh, kitchen, most of you know how that even look, would look in our home, because you've been in our home. And I said, okay, hey, uh, it's time, we're going to have prayer. And, you know, I'm here, Chris is here. And the, the one child, there's two, two ch- children, two boys, and, and the, the one child is here, and, you know, knuckleheads out playing video games. So, second time. Hey, come on in. You know, I said it loud. We're having prayer for dinner. And, and we're standing there, Chris is here, and I'm here, and we're all going to hands. I said, I'll be right back. I walked in there, grabbed him, you know, like this. I said, get your butt in here. It's time to pray. He came on in. We prayed for the meal. And I said, okay, let's, let's, let's eat. I pulled him off the side. I said, listen, when you're at my house, when I call you to prayer, I don't care whether you're playing video games or not. Get your butt in here and pray. You understand that? <laughs> I said, good, I'm glad we understand each other. Let's have pizza. As a parent, and in that case, I'm the pseudo-parent, because these are my children, but I, I, I guarantee you, that's exactly what I would have done with Ben and Maria. Yeah. They're not in, in charge of this. I am. We're not praying when they get ready. We're praying when I get ready. And I don't care what's on television. I don't care what's on the video game. I don't care what's going on. Period. Daddy said it's time to pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was amazing. He was the most obedient little boy the rest of the time he was there. <laughs> he was so happy to please me, and, 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 you know, and he wanted my approval. 
But see, sometimes parents, their kids push them around. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to force him to pray. Baloney! <laughs> Little belligerent knucklehead is is holding up the whole house because he wants to play video games. It's an issue of who's in charge here. Is he in charge or am I in charge? Okay, so the calmness of the home. You got what I'm saying? Okay, number four. The kid's relationship with other kids. Now I'm saying, who do you want to listen to? I'm saying you better listen to someone whose kids get along with other kids. And that's one of the things as a dad that you should monitor, monitor with your children. Do my kids get along with other kids? They should. If they don't, expect them to. And you can watch, you can tell, I mean, you can observe, and you expect them to get along. You know, and, and they're going to have best friends just like you do. You know what? All of us have best friends. It's okay to have best friends. Jonathan and David were best friends, you know, in the Bible. It's okay to have best friends. Everybody's not your best friend. If everybody's your best friend, nobody's your best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but, but on the other hand, they ought to be friendly. How, how do the kids get along? Number five, overall spirituality of the family. In other words, is there a nice spirituality in the home, of a home that you want to look at as far as someone that might be an imitatable family for you? And lastly here, similar goals of a family. For instance, if you want your children to do well in school, then maybe you should be getting some advice from a family whose children are doing well in school. You understand what I'm saying? If if you want your children to do well in music, maybe you should be friends with someone who has children that are involved with music. In other words, you find things that are some level of compatibility. Um, If you want your children to do well in athletics, maybe you should... You know, look around and, and say, hey, you know, maybe I could get some advice from them because, you know, their kids are, are big into AYSO or, you know, whatever. In other words, you, you find uh, some couples that have similar goals to you of what you want your children to obtain in life. Does that make sense? The guy's example is everything. And hopefully this will be a good, good thought for you. Now, we're going to break.